Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. And that's a real paradigm shift in you know, a sense, obviously, is that's probably the, the leading cause. I don't want to herald the death of journalism, but, you know, the... the For nearly two decades, the landscape of mainstream journalism has undergone a tectonic shift. While many historic news brands have disappeared altogether, others have adapted to the new digital environment, and some have even re-emerged as new entities. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to Tell Journalism. New York Sun, one of America's storied newspapers, relaunched in February as a digital-only publication. Dovid Ifune is the former CEO and editor-in-chief of the Algaminer Journal. He acquired the Sun last November and is behind the paper's relaunch. Dovid, welcome to It's All Journalism. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Michael. Um, so first of all, tell me a little about yourself. Um, you know, how'd you get involved in journalism? How'd you end up being a uh, editor-in-chief and publisher? Well, the truth is that my pathway is quite unconventional. You know, I grew up in a quite a, a religious environment, Jewish Orthodox environment, uh, went to uh, various yeshivas, which are sort of uh, Orthodox Jewish seminaries where we study uh, Talmud and, and uh, practically applied Kabbalah and all kinds of uh, exciting subject matters. <laughs> And uh, one of the schools where, that I was at, uh, there was a, a teacher there, Dean, a quite, a, quite a well-known and respected rabbi in those circles, who was the son of a fellow called Gershon Jacobson, mm-hmm. who was the founder of the Algemeiner Journal newspaper, which was a Yiddish publication founded in 1972. But he, Gershon, was quite the journalistic uh, icon. You know, he went to uh, Columbia University of Toronto. He wrote for uh, the New York Post and the the Herald Tribune, the New York Herald Tribune. He covered Vatican II for Newsweek, for example. But his real claim to fame or his first coming out was in 1960 when he broke the story of the capture of Adolf Eichmann um, for the Herald Tribune in the days when, when, uh, you know, you could really break a story. They published a special edition of the paper 16 hours before anybody else. And uh, John Hay Whitney, who was a publisher at the time, walked into his office, gave him a big hug and a $10,000 cash bonus for breaking the story, which I guess in today's money is is at least a Bitcoin and a half. Yeah, a lot for sure. Yeah, and, and deservedly uh, gotten. It'd be nice if, uh, you know, if you did a good story, or you broke some news, your boss would hand you a big pile of money. Right. <laughs> Those exactly. days. Well, you know, he... He, Gershon, you know, was quite the journalistic icon and the Algemeiner was uh, certainly for the Jewish community, quite an iconic publication. Um, he passed in 2005, which was exactly the time when I was uh, studying at the school and, you know, getting quite close to, to uh, one of his sons. And I guess uh, we spent some time in the wake of his passing, you know, talking about his, his legacy and uh, his life. And at a certain stage, they were looking for somebody to come in and try and revive it and uh you know they weren't in a position to 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 drag somebody off the top of the mountain and figured you know their best bet was to try and give this to somebody uh young and enthusiastic which is which is maybe uh 
the, the most generous way I could put it. Um, and that's, you know, back in 2008, I came on board and uh, started to, to, uh, to learn a baptism by fire, if you will, in the, journal, <laughs> in the industry and started to learn a little bit about uh, what entailed. And ultimately, we were able to really build the Algaminer into a market leader in the digital age, you know, covering, you know, Middle East, uh, Jewish and Israel related news. And in recent years, started to think about uh, expanding. And uh, Mr. Lipsky, who is the former proprietor of the Sun, has been a friend and mentor for quite some time. He also founded a, a Jewish paper, the Jewish Daily Forward in English um, in the 90s, I believe it was. Uh, so, you know, we connected on that front and, um, you know, at some stage started to have a discussion about the future of the sun and develop a bit of an understanding for its potential and the place that it needed to occupy. And the rest, uh, as they say, is history. It's history. It's history in the making. Um, before we go off the Algaminer Journal, let's, let's let me talk a little bit about that. I mean, as a, um, you know, I, I'm not familiar with the Jewish press. You know, when you say that, is it you know, what are the stories that you're covering? You know, what, obviously you've got a particular community that you want to bring news to, you know, what types of, you know, what, what types of stories do they want to read? Well, you know, the, the truth is it, it's, it's, it's quite interesting and expansive. I mean, there's a lot of coverage of, of, of Israel in the Middle East and Middle Eastern geopolitics. And, uh, you know, the truth is that a, a large percentage of coverage in the world vertical, the international news ver vertical of any publication centers around the Middle East. So in that sense, um, you know, publications like the Algaminer do have an opportunity to stand in the center of the conversations on issues that are of widespread concern um, to the larger, to the public at large. There's also a lot of coverage of anti-Semitism, you know, certainly some of the challenges that Israel faces, you know, on the, on the uh, not just the geopolitical stage, but, you know, with NGOs and the United Nations and international forums and on college campuses, you know, there are real movements to, to try and isolate Israel and sometimes by extension that, that also starts to apply to Jewish students. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a great degree uh, to cover on that front. Um, but there are also, you know, interesting things really uh, across the board there's a great uh, beat for the israeli innovation sector for example where new technologies are coming out of the country that are having tremendous impact on on the world at large and and you know various sectors um, there's also a, a a cultural component uh, which is very interesting you know a lot of uh, figures um, jewish cultural figures in politics in, in the arts and culture and you know music and um acting and there's, there's definitely um, a great deal for us to to, to uh, dedicate attention to on a daily basis. So, in, in talking to Mr. Lipsky, you 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 thought, no, let's 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 go ahead and and relaunch the Sun, which had been a digital uh, publication for I guess in the two thousands for a period of time. You know, why why relaunch the Sun? What is it that you could do there that you can't do at the Journal? Or, in, or by starting some other uh, publication? Well, look, first of all, I think to get an understanding of why the sun is important, it's worth delving a little bit into the sun's history. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a stretch to say that the sun is the most consequential newspaper in American journalism in terms of its contributions to the field. It was founded in 1833 
And in, its, in and of itself, its founding was a revolution. It, at the time, in the 1830s, newspapers were, were you know, would, would, would cost six cents a piece. And the only way to get hold of a single newspaper was actually to go down to the printer and get hold of one, which not many people were able to do. So they bought these annual subscriptions, which were about 10 bucks. And that's, you know, the a month or two months wages for, for a working man. These papers, you know, would reprint political speeches. They didn't do any real what what by today's um, standards you'd call journalism or reporting. They they published stock prices and the going comings of the New York the goings and comings of New York's harbor. But really, they were just in the domain of the wealthy and 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 the elites and your common man, the consuming journalism and reading newspapers. Certainly, laborers and the working class. It was really very foreign to them. So along comes Benjamin Day, who was a journeyman printer in, in itself, a working class um, fellow struggling to make ends meet. He just had a kid. And, you know, he came up with this idea of selling a newspaper for a penny, a penny daily <laughs> and targeting everybody, really. And the first day he put the paper together himself entirely from start to finish. Most of it was just ripped off from other newspapers. And he printed a thousand copies and handed them out. And then on the first day in print, he had an ad asking for people who might have an interest in helping distribute the paper. The first applicant was a, was a nine-year-old boy. And that was really where paper boys were born. And the concept of how newspapers are distributed and the really putting the consumption of news and the idea that an informed public is far better for the functioning of democracy was really pioneered by the New York Sun. And as a product of that, there are a whole host of innovations in journalism that today we take for granted um, that really evolved from that, you know, seed, that concept. So, you know, the, the, the first one really began with Ben Day trying to figure out what your common man wanted to read. So he sent an acquaintance of his, a fellow called Wiser, down to the courts, and he asked him to write up a report on, you know, what was being read there and the proceedings. And that was really the birth of, of crime reporting. And every day they would have a roster of, of basically uh, crime in New York that was that had been taking place, how it was playing out in the courthouses. And that led to, you know, a whole host of other innovations. Uh, human interest stories were pioneered by the Sun, uh, front page headlines, news syndication. You know, the Sun was the first in its fourth day in print. It published um, its first abolitionist editorial. This is decades before emancipation. It was the first, the first female journalist in American journalism, Emily Verdery Batty, in the 1970s, was employed by by the Sun. The Associated Press was founded in the Sun's offices in 1946. Um, the Sun uh, became the most published newspaper in the world, uh, the most um, the most read newspaper in the world in its heyday. It uh, published Yes, Virginia, There is a Santa Claus in 1897, which became the most reprinted editorial in the history of newspapers. It backed Lincoln during the Civil War. It fought for the Union. It uh, hosted Jose Marti in its offices and flew the flag of Free Cuba over Lower Broadway. So really the sun's innovations, and there were more of them. I mean, it's one sure. of its owners invented the double-sided printing press. The first New York City subway was dug under the sun's offices uh, with a machine that was invented by one of the sun's publishers, a fellow called um, uh, Moses Y. Beach. 
and uh, really its place in the firmament of American journalism is 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 uh, is unique, and really that's just a long way of answering your question, which is, you know, our sense was that today journalism writ large is in crisis. It's not a secret that uh, trust in journalism and newspapers is is uh, has reached all time lows, and really. You know what the sun has specialized in, has long specialized in, is serving as that bridge between the the the, the journalistic community and uh, and the public that that consumes it, that consumes news and journalism, and um, you know in in at its heart, in its essence, that's really our our thought in bringing back the sun and putting such an emphasis on the sun, particularly because it's that tradition, those traditions of American journalism that we feel are so lacking and in desperate need of restoration. Okay, so a rich history, something to live up to, and uh, it, it gives you sort of a, um, a direction to jump off from. Um, it, how are you going to sort of manifest this? Well, in, there's obviously the um, few parts of this. I mean, there's a very pragmatic um, answer to your question in terms of what our, what our team looks like. And then there's the more ideological component. But you know, we've hired a team of, of journalists and editors, about 30 so far. And we've put particular emphasis on you know, hiring really smart and talented folks who have a good understanding of the most substantive issues facing Americans today. But I think you know, if you have to, from the more ideological, and you know, how does that manifest? We've got a a morning sun newsletter that goes out every morning, an evening sun newsletter that goes out every evening. We have a weekend sun newsletter that goes out. We're publishing a number of uh, cutting edge and groundbreaking reports and commentary analysis like, like a good newspaper should, but certainly a focus on addressing issues that, that we, 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 we feel have not been fully addressed and issues that are of real consequence um, that, that really strike at the heart of of the interests of the American public and in you know, the future of, of our country. Um, so, you know, what does that entail? I mean, what, what do we see as, as missing? Um, what do we see really as, as the, 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 the core of this breakdown in trust? I mean, for a lot of people will tell you that it's about politics. People don't trust newspapers with politics that they don't like. Our sense is that it really extends beyond that. You know, trust between a reader and a newspaper shouldn't be that um, different to trust between individuals. Uh, you can trust people who, who you have very different political views, um, whose views, political views are very different to your own. Really what it boils down to is intention and the trust that, that uh, you know, that they have your interests in heart and that they're acting in good faith, etc. So I think that's where it really starts. You know, there are a lot of people that look at journalism today and have lost that sense that um, that the, the editors and the news publications are fighting for their interests, which really should be the first calling of a news publication. And they get the sense that instead of holding power to account on behalf of the people, um, many news publications today are trying to police the people on behalf of the powers that they favor. And that's a real paradigm shift. And, you know, a sense obviously is that's probably the, the leading cause. I don't want to herald the death of journalism, but you know the 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 uh, certainly the the tribulations that journalism is facing today. Well, well, and certainly there are a lot of tribulations that journalism is facing. I agree with you on that. Um, and so, 
well, let me ask you this first. It, who do you see as your audience? Who is it? Who's the, who is the person you want to reach? Well, you know, really, um, the starting point is those individuals who are disenfranchised by major media outlets that exist today. And, you know, there are polls that show that that number is in maybe in the 60s or the 70s quite consistently and some extensive numbers that are out there. Um, but also, you know, we're a, uh, a smart and sophisticated product. So people who are looking for thoughtful, consequential uh, news and analysis and not just sort of uh, cheap entertainment, if you will. And don't get me wrong, this it's cheap entertainment. Well, it's very bad. <laughs> It's, 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 it's valuable and, you know, it all contributes to our understanding of the world, but, you know, the sun is a, is a thoughtful paper. So I, I would, I would, I would say thoughtful individuals who are interested and concerned with the, 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 the welfare and the future of, of the country and the big issues that face our country who have become very disenfranchised by the outlets that uh, cu cu currently are dominant in the journalism space. New York is pretty crowded with uh, uh, news publications, and obviously the Times is is, is uh, the one that uh, a lot of people think about uh, first. You and other people on your staff have said a lot of things about the way the Times is 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 covering things these days. You know, is it? Do you see it as something that has evolved relatively recently, considering we're talking about publications that have been, been around a long time and is emblematic of, of what's going on in journalism in general? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, if you want to talk about sort of where journal, journalism has gone astray, the Times is definitely a good place to start. There's certainly a history of, of uh, something of a rivalry that exists between the New York Sun and the New York Times. The, the Sun was founded 18 years before the New York Times but they really sort of uh, jockeyed for the same market for, for many, many, many years. You've got that 200 years of history. You've got those Pulitzer Prizes. You've got the, those New, the New York broadsheet flavor and that even the, the, the Gothic masthead. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, for, for a number of years in the, in the second iteration of the sun from 02 until 08, the, the sun sat next to the Times and newsstands around, all around New York City. And uh, we haven't ruled out the option of even bringing back a print edition possibly on weekends uh, as well. So there definitely is that sense of, you know, the, the Sun's role in relation to the Times. And I think uh, also the Sun's particular focus on politics and culture. We've got an incredibly robust arts section, a lot of focus on arts coverage as well, that many of our readers, um, our readers that, that, that would have appreciated the Times and, and but but have become frustrated with it uh, in recent years. And um, you know, I think there's there's a lot to be said about how and why that that has come about. But uh, you know, it's it's no secret that, uh, that that there's a lot of frustration and a lot of people sort of see the Times as the figurehead, if you will, of the uh, the widespread widespread frustration that that many Americans feel with the way that the press conducts itself. But you know, there are there are yeah, we can delve into a lot of detail, but you know, just really the the, the focus on that are that are consequential things that are important. Uh, the Times actually had a piece on Friday, which was ironic, talking about how you know it was it was an, an editorial. There was a lot of fanfare surrounding it about how 
Americans, their studies show, are not comfortable saying what they feel and expressing their opinions. It's almost as if we're living in something of a fear society. You know, the fear society described by Natan Sharansky in his famous book, The Case for Democracy, the society, you know, his definition of a society where people, individual citizens, aren't comfortable speaking their mind. Typically, you're talking about authoritarian regimes and dictatorships, but it seems in America, based on these emerging numbers and the Times was, was pointing it out accurately, we're creating a sort of lateral fear society where we jump down the throats of people who say things we disagree with, you know, and, and it ends up having this sort of chilling effect where certain discussions that are valuable and important to the future of the country can't be had. Now, the Times was right to, to point out the challenge and uh, it, was, it wasn't wrong, but completely neglected to mention its own role in perpetuating that crisis or, or, or you know, in our view, I'd even say uh, lead, leading role in perpetuating that crisis. So, you know, that's certainly uh, a big role that we see for the, for the sun to play is, is to create that environment that allows these discussions to happen unmolested without, you know, and play some role in contributing to the rolling back of that lateral fear society by allowing uh, you know, robust and profound discussions to happen in our pages that others might not be so comfortable with. Okay, so are, are we talking in terms of uh, political speech? Are we talking in, or in, in a broader sense, cultural speech? Um, you know, this sort of idea of, of woke culture versus anti-woke culture. Um, is, is that kind of what you're, you're talking about? I mean, there, there are components to that, but I think what you're talking about is more, you know, the symptom. I mean, look, the sun mm -hmm. is what I would call a constitutional paper. It's a okay. paper that has a, a lot of respect for individual rights. It's a paper that has a lot of respect um, and appreciation for, you know, what, what you might call the constitutional moments and how they affect the, the future of the country, you know, uh, equal justice, not, not mob justice under the law, for example. Um, you know, these are fundamental principles for which the Sun has, has stood for, for many, many years. It's an independent newspaper. It wears the livery of no party, as, as one of its proprietors famously said. But, but yeah, I mean, there certainly is this uh, enforcement of, of an orthodoxy. I mean, for example, at the same time that the Sun was, sorry, that the Times was decrying the inability of, of people to speak freely in American society today or the unwillingness of people to speak freely in society today, um, you have an editorial or, a, or an opinion piece on its own website by Senator Tom Cotton, you know, during the, the, the Black Lives Matter protests last year, certainly which had violent elements to them, calling on, you know, the government to send in forces to, to uh, you know, police the violent elements, right? And the Times still says that this editorial should not have been published. So if the Times is of the view that a sitting senator should not be able to publish you know, his view, and I understand if that's a view that makes people uncomfortable or others disagree with that view, but certainly it's a view that, uh, <laughs> that shouldn't be shut down. You know, he has the right to, to, to say that. You know, it's, the, the Sun would publish that, that opinion piece with pleasure. And, and would not be of the view that because it, it made a lot of people uncomfortable, therefore it shouldn't be heard and shut down. So you see the time sort of 
talking out of both sides of its mouth. You know, there were a number of staffers at the Times, you know, James Bennett, the editorial page editor, Barry Weiss, Adam Rubenstein, there was Donald McNeil who were forced out of the Times because, you know, they sort of transgressed the orthodoxies that are expected. You know, certainly our, our view is that that's not the greatest aspiration of a paper. And if that's the way that the Times is fashioning itself, um, you know, we'll, we'll be able to present a compelling alternative. Okay, so a, a paper like the Times, I mean, do they have a, do you think that they have a responsibility that if they do publish something that not because of general outrage or, you know, one side complains and, and, and they feel that they're, you know, that it makes them look bad or whatever, that they, do they have the ability then to go back and, and, and think again about something that they may have done um, and come to that conclusion? Well, of course they have the right to, I mean, they, they have, I mean, part, part, part of, you know, helping ensure that, um, you know, you, you, you genuinely have a, a free society is, you know, defending the, the, the rights of everybody to, to express their views. And frankly, well, I, I'd say we would also defend the rights of, of, of the times to hold those views. Um, but also, you know, if don't come back and then complain that uh, people are, are worried about expressing their views. If, if, you know, this is, if, if this is your approach, if this is their approach to views that they don't like, of course they have the right to, 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 to decline to publish it, to regret publishing it, to take it down. Um, but obviously, you know, they, like everybody else, have to face the consequences of their actions and the impact that that has on the environment surrounding free speech in the country. Right. If, if for, for example, this is totally out of the air, you know, if, if, if something is published that, you know, turns out to be dangerous or causes, you know, injury or something, and it was strictly, yeah. you know, it was clearly irresponsible, then a, a publication could then come back and say, yes, we were wrong. And, sure. you know, and yeah, I mean, I mean that's uh, the famous legal limits on free speech or the right. fire, fire in the theater. Um, but I, I don't think that was that was. The yeah, case no, no, I mean, I... it's interesting because the 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 article is still up on their website. So it's obviously not <laughs> too dangerous that it has to be taken down. But it has a note saying that it should not have been published. Right. So, you know, you, you see the you see the, the game that's being played. But really, I mean, let's be frank about it. That 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 note was appended in response to a a, a, a mob, really, a, a, a mob that didn't like what was articulated, you know. OK, why, and, why uh, do you think why do you think they um, they they still have it up? Well, I think they also recognize uh, at heart that and, and they're sort of caught between this back and forth that uh, you know to take it down would have been an even more extreme abdication of, of their you know duty and responsibility to, to the public so you know they they went far troublingly far um, but they also stopped themselves from going all the way but at the same time there are three people that lost their jobs over that very 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 talented journalists who made incredible contributions um, to the the, the times as study of various issues so you know the net effect of that you know they dealt with that sort of isolated editorial but the impact that that has now had on their editorial page is significant they've lost uh, talented minds and obviously 
you know, anything that's going to cross their desk is going to now be sort of guided by that very unpleasant experience. Anybody who works at the Times editorial page is going to think twice. They're going to know that their job may be on the line about publishing, you know, pieces that, uh, you know, may engender that kind of discussion. So what's the impact that that has? I mean, that what the Times has been lamenting in its, in its editorial on Friday, has, it has basically enacted at its own institution. Not only is it playing a role in uh, creating that climate across American society in general and journalism in general, it has enacted that very same setting and environment where individuals, its employees, journalists, editors, I, I do not believe that the Times editorial staff and journalistic staff are fully comfortable expressing their views and their opinions in even in the work environment that they exist in, that they live in on a daily basis. And this is something that's been well documented. I mean, you look at Barry Weiss's favorite, famous um, resignation letter, but you can see what others have said who've previously worked at the Times. You know, there is an orthodoxy of thought at that institution, which um, is, I, I would argue, is incredibly damaging to the institution of, of journalism in general in this country. And to the extent that the Sun can serve as something of, a, of, of an antidote, and obviously we're, we're humble about it, we're, we're, we've got this, this rich and, and beautiful, colorful and history that we're very, very proud of. But you know, the Times is a, uh, is a Goliath institution. We're certainly the David um, in this dynamic, but it's a role that we relish and we take uh, you know, great pride and see it as, as a real um, you know, responsibility and valuable contribution that the Sun can make. And, and in the end, David, David, it, things worked out okay for David, if I remember. Um, so, so things worked out okay for David. Things, yeah, things that worked out. General, you know, um, Act One ended up it came things out really well. Out. But so, so tell me. So let's um, hope we can follow that trajectory. There we go. So, so back to the sun. I mean, in, in what you were just saying about about the times. I mean, what you know, in, in being an anecdote to that, what's you know what what is your editorial guidance as far as what you will publish in in, in your op-ed section do you do you have a particular uh, political bent or is it you know anything that comes over the transom that's um not libelous or or, or uh, actionable is something that we would print yeah i mean look the sun is um an independent paper but it is also not what i would call a vanilla paper or a or a or a both sides uh, paper in the sense that the sun has real principles and you know firmly held ideology the it, the sun is is you know a, a constitutional paper as i mentioned it's it's a paper that definitely prioritizes principles over politics and party and personalities and it has been guided you know that way since its earliest days but its principles are are, are firmly held strongly held i would i would refer to them as american principles the principles that really made this country stand out from other countries before it but i'm happy to share with you you know when the sun was relaunched a month ago it's actually almost to the day a month <laughs> since, since since we relaunched i published uh, a note to, to the readers where i went through you know some of the key principles of, of the sun so i'm happy to share a few of them with you here but yeah. you know first of all the sun stands with the stars and stripes. You know, our famous 19th century editor, Charles Dana said, an American who thinks another country is better than this should not go into journalism. 
Now that's our view. <laughs> the sun is independent, wears the livery of no party. And uh, as, as uh, Seth Lipsky, our current editor, has famously said, the sun always uh, has, has, uh, has shown a willingness to stand apart. Uh, definitely we uh, eschew cynicism, um, namely that uh, we prefer countering uh, darkness with light, falsehood with truth, namely uh, this uh, practice, practice of, 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 of cancellation and shutting down others is not one that the sun favors. You know, if you're not happy with a certain approach or perspective, present an alternative one. And I think, you know, that's the same in our approach to journalism, you know, writ large. If you know, there are a lot of folks out there who say, you know, they, they attack the media that exists, you know, they call it fake news, they cancel their subscription, they call them the enemy of the people. You know, we say that the American way is to participate in building a better alternative. And that's what we're communicating to our readers and to our public, you know, be a part of this if you're not happy with what's there, be, be a part of uh, building up something that, that, that does speak to you and for you. Um, okay. The sun, uh, you know, there are a few others I can, I, I can go through. The sun acknowledges the positions of others, fight for your opinions, but do not believe they contain the whole truth or the only truth. That's another line from, from Charles Dana. We also uh, like to make sure we have proper consideration for the weak and defenseless. You know, there are, there, we've seen a lot of coverage of you know, individuals, you know, high school students who said the wrong thing. I mean, the Covington Catholic School story comes to mind. I mean, major newspapers shouldn't be covering, uh, you know, young teenagers who, you know, really, really are just <laughs> figuring out their way in life and, you know, really bringing them down and just creating these complications for them. I mean, newspapers should focus on, on highlighting individuals and personalities that are in positions of power that make decisions for the future of the world and the country. But you know these are not real stories. You know they serve certain narratives, but these are not the kind of things that newspapers should engage in, and they certainly shouldn't be putting weak and defenseless um, individuals who are in their teens, um, you know, in the spotlight in that way. You know, um, so the, the Sun biographer Frank Michael O'Brien spoke of the Sun's proper considerations for the feelings of the the innocent bystander. When, and, when, you know, we're also an optimistic paper, you know, humanity is advancing and there is progress in human life and human affairs. That's also from Charles Dana. When you, when you talk about um, America and, and a paper that is a constitutional and, you know, how do you how do you set yourself uh, do you, Well, let's talk about this. The, the role of the newspaper is the watchdog of the government, um, you know. For example, we here we are in the midst of a uh, you know a major world crisis uh, around uh, Russia's invasion of, of, of Ukraine, and you know the the Biden administration is doing whatever the Biden administration is doing. At what point does a paper like yours, um, you know, or where do they draw the line in you know holding the politicians to, uh, you know to you know their feet to the fire, but also supporting you know a larger general um move of uh, of the federal government in in what sense can you elaborate a little more well you in know terms of ukraine policy yeah let's, let's talk about that just in a general term yeah uh, to start with um yeah what i mean would you if 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 the biden administration made a definitive okay the united states is doing this and this is the way we're going to handle either a military or some sort of you know blockade whatever you know um, to take a firm position 
it, it, it would, you know, where do you, you know, how do you report that story? How do you editorial, you know, eyes that story, I guess, in that philosophy? Yeah, I mean, look, um, like, like all newspapers, the Sun has a news section and an opinion section. So, you know, there's a coverage of events and our the unique lens through, through which uh, we view the world. Uh, and then there are the editorial pages where we sort of uh, state, state our position on things. So, you know, there've been a number of unique angles that we've been focusing on. Certainly the sun is uh, very sympathetic, uh, has been very sympathetic to, to the moral component in terms of the responsibility of, of the West to sort of see Ukraine and the struggle of Ukraine as, uh, as, a, as, as, a, as, a, as a cause, as a Western cause, as a democratic cause, as a, as a, as a cause for freedom and to assist you know, in, in whatever way we can, certainly from, from, from a moral perspective, from ethics perspective, but from a ideological and, and, uh, and, and even historic perspective, you know, we're very much firmly of that view. In terms of the, the specifics, what are the approaches are the right approaches to take um you know to what extent um america can sort of risk wider war and uh you know what what uh blood and treasure you know sh should be spent you know i think the, the the general view is that uh you know this is this is almost a civilizational struggle and it's uh, important for america to take it seriously and be fully invested in in ensuring uh an outcome, a just outcome, but an outcome that uh, upholds the, you know, the civilizational progress, if you will, um, and doesn't d d dial back the dial back the the hands of time to to a more uh, archaic moment that we've struggled so hard to break out of. Okay, um, yeah, because you use the word authoritarianism, I think, um, uh, in, in, descri in describing you know, the type of journalism maybe that uh, the New York, New York Times is doing, uh, or maybe their editorial pages is, is uh, professing uh, from a, a cultural political point of view. And, you know, this, I, and I think you're, you're, you're correct in, in, in identifying what's happening in Ukraine and in Russia as a, as a, as a civilization issue and the idea behind sort of forward progress. I mean, how could you not be against, or how could you, how could you be against forward progress? But there are people who, who do, um, are that way. So anyway, we're, yeah. you, and I, you and I are not going to solve this, the, the, this big civilization, uh, story at this moment. Um, yeah. but you know, what is so, it? I mean, I mean, you see, I mean, um, you know, obviously, and, and, uh, you see the way that the media conducts itself in Russia you know, it's, it's <laughs> obviously, you know, it's in, incomparable to, to any journalism that you see here in, in the West. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's real, you know, basically a, a, everything is sort of just mobilized towards propaganda and, and the war effort. Um, but I think the, you know, the, the more general point and the fear is that, you know, that, that kind of environment, and it's not just media in Russia, state-controlled media, it's just the shutting down of, of, of any dissent, you know, leads to and creates the society where people, nobody is, is willing to, to, to say what's on their mind. I mean, everybody in, 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 in Russia and beyond engages in what uh, Sharansky refers to as doublespeak. You know, they, mm -hmm. they know what the party line is, what they have to say, 
and what they have to, you know, what they the, what they have got to go along with. And then they have their own independent thoughts that they'll never speak out loud. They may whisper them to their children or their spouse, um, if that, if that. Now, in this country, obviously, we're not, we're not even close to there yet. Um, but the numbers are showing that increasingly people are fearful of, of, of saying what they really think and what they really feel. And that there's certain orthodoxies that they feel that they have to that they have to adhere to, and they are increasingly engaging in this sort of double du double speak mentality, where you know, in polite company, they'll say certain things, and then they're they're obviously their their own views. They 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 have to think very very carefully before expressing. Um, so you know, in that sense, the the it's it's happened and unfolded in a very different way. In the sense that in in authoritarian regimes it's 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 a, it's imposed top down, and here in the states it's more of sort of a lateral progression. You know, it's society imposing it on itself, if you will, or us imposing it on each other. But nevertheless, the the net result, where you you have a society where, you know, people in, you know are conducting themselves in that way, where there's the fear to speak freely. It's 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 dangerous. I think it's dangerous for democracy. It's dangerous for, for you know, our ability to to have tough discussions about the future of the country and make tough decisions. Um, so I guess there. I don't want to draw. I don't want to you know compare the two. Obviously, the, there's quite a gulf between them. But there are echoes over here in the United States in terms of the of of, of the results in terms of of the net impact on society. And uh, it's 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 something that we've got to be uh, really really careful and guard against. I mean, certainly the very fact that the Times was sounding the alarm over this issue on Friday, you know, would, would lead one to understand that this is this is quite a widely um, it's quite a widely acknowledged phenomenon. Um, but obviously, the Times is not acknowledging its own role in perpetuating the, this this crisis. I, I guess I guess what we're talking about in, in, in very general terms is this uh, the idea of the cancel culture that if I have a if I say something political or you know not even necessarily political social if you know if I if I mischaracterize or I say say my own feelings that are different than what the perceived um, you know general belief is that I'm shut down, I, you know, I may lose, I may lose my livelihood, I may, I, yeah. you know, my, my, my life may be, may be ruined. In, yeah, in sometimes it's social, ways. yeah. And that's a different type of pressure than, you know, something, what you were just describing that, 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 that happens in Russia to, to its people. So, but yeah. it's just being applied from a different way. Yeah, yeah. But I guess the, the net effect, and that's where, you know, so in Russia, you may have 98% of people who aren't comfortable saying what's on their minds. In America, I think, based on the numbers the Times put out, it was in the 30s. But, you know, it's still a considerable number, you know. Yeah, yes, it, it is a considerable number. But then I think about things like people who, people who have racist beliefs. And, you yeah. know, what is our, what is our, Societal societal response to that. I understand how, what it's yeah. supposed supposed to be constitutionally that 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 person has the right to say whatever they want to say. Right. But well, the challenge today is is also very much how you define racism. I mean, there's definitely a tendency to sort of define things we disagree with as racism. I mean, you know, I think well, the, I, I, the I, big I, thrust yeah, of the I, argument sure against are. that Tom Cotton op-ed was that it, you know, it, 
it harms people of color. But you know how. So the question of where, where we draw that line and how these things are defined also becomes important. You know? Well, yeah, and, and also how we represent people of color in in our in our content and in, on our editorial page. You know, do we welcome them in to to express their opinions? Do do we you know do we you know, it, would you publish a, a an editorial uh, from uh, the founder of Black Lives Matter? Yeah, I mean, look, we we um, look. That's certainly a, a decision for the the editorial. <laughs> yeah, team you to don't want to sign somebody. A decision into... about well, the decision about whether or not to publish it would have absolutely nothing to do with who the person is, and everything to do with what they have to say. Okay. Okay. Anyway, I, I, this is a, this has been a fascinating discussion, and we could go on and on about this. But I, I really appreciate yeah. you giving me the time to do this. I think it's really kind of exciting to see uh, somebody launching a project like this, a, a publication like this, and uh, you know, actively, you know, this is a different approach. This is a different point of view, and we want to try to reach people um, who feel that they're kind of left out of these other discussions. Um, but anyway, David, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, no, it's a great pleasure. And thank you for your, uh, informed, insightful, <laughs> pointed questions. It's a really fascinating discussion. Appreciate your time as well. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.